Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of That Time When, the comedy history podcast where each week we talk to you about some strange or unusual occurrence in history. I'm Amelia Edwards <laughs> and with me is Barnaby <laughs> King who just forgot to introduce us. Yes, all right. All right. <laughs> All right, yes, this is the second time we had to record this intro. Fortunately, it didn't get very far before I realised that, yes, I had forgotten to introduce... I can't actually remember if we've said my name. No, I said I'm Amelia Edwards and this is Barnaby King. Okay, okay, good, good, good. That's how bad my short-term memory is. What's happened to it? Uh, I think it's lack of sleep. Oh, dear. (laughs) It's all right. It's the Halloween hauntings, that's what's happening. Yes, so... Halloween, it's that time of year again, and it's going to be a weird-ass Halloween this year because, mm-hmm. you know, COVID. Whee. I really don't know what's going to happen with trick-or-treaters. Are they still going to turn up? Surely they can't. Because they can't. No. But what if they do? I'll feel so bad. Imagine. I mean, I guess the thing to do is just get some sweets and that in in case, and if not, then we can eat them. That's the, true. The sweets, not the children. <laughs> Well, we do like to lure children out to our cottage in the woods. Oh, no, you can't it is say made that. of gingerbread. Okay, all right. Yeah, I suppose you're a woman, so it's slightly easier for you to say that and not sound like a pedo. <laughs> I got a big old oven. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh God. Oh, it's, it's just showing that you know women have it so easy. I know. When they talk about luring kids into the woods. <laughs> Everyone just thinks they're a witch. When men do it, everyone assumes they're a sex offender. I was just feeling innocent today. (laughs) I've been thinking about fairy tales recently for no reason at all. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, I've been keeping up with the news and it's just depressing. So I'm in that sort of mindset of, oh God, what other awful thing are we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So to try and get your mind off it, Uh, Mm -hmm. I wanted to, as I say, talk about something to do with Halloween. Spooky. Yes. Now, I I realised that I didn't actually have to go that far back to find something interesting. Uh, Quite frankly, this is kind of in living memory. Well, it doesn't really count as history then, (laughs) does it? Well, it's one of those things where... um, I think when when you look... When you sort of get an interest in history time starts feeling a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if we think about, say, the 1800s, yep. I kind of felt like it happened, what, about a month ago? Something like that. Oh, yesterday. Yeah, I absolutely. mean, I've only just put away my corsets and petticoats. <laughs> but I mean, like, in, in your sort of context shifts. Oh, yeah. So, like, talking about the 1800s is not talking about, like, far back in the distant past no. sort of thing. Uh, it feels like it was much more recent. So, like, it's one of those things where I've been kind of, kind of hesitant to go sort of too modern. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because if it is stuff that you know is in living memory, then people might point out when I'm wrong. <gasps> well, you know what though, the History Channel does ice truckers, <laughs> so true. I think we're okay. <laughs> and ancient aliens. Well, the ancient aliens are at least ancient. Yes, yes, and true. And true. Yes, but absolutely. The ice truckers are. <laughs> Current. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. Okay, so I won't feel bad about this. No, I think we're okay. I think we could do things in the future if we're following their mm. timeline. So what we're doing right now is we're going back to a time where... Oh, no, wait. Sorry, um, we might have to just pause the podcast because I have some I have some breaking news for you, Amelia. What? It seems that... It seems that invaders have arrived. What? Yes. 
It seems that New Jersey in America has been attacked and great creatures of tri on tripods have stepped out of pods and are my god, they're destroying things left, right, and center. Oh my god. These invaders, they appear to be from Mars. <gasps> also, like, that, a lot of people have been predicting this will happen this year, so. <laughs> oh god, yeah. <laughs> um, so, don't worry, everyone. That was just a bit. Because I am, this week, going to be talking about the incident in 1938 where Orson Welles produced a radio drama adaptation of H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds. Now, I thought, I was kind of in two minds about this because mm -hmm. it's not something, like generally we want to go vaguely obscure yeah. with our topics each week. And this is something that I think it's likely that people will have heard of. I mean, The Simpsons did a Treehouse of Horror episode about it. Oh <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is great and I kind of want to watch it again. Mm. Um, but the reason I wanted to talk about it for this episode is because the myths about it mm -hmm. and the actual history of it have been, like, conflated a lot. Oh, sure. There's this idea of widespread hysteria and mass panic, and it really wasn't like that. Okay. But it was, there was some interesting things to it. And I think when you look into it, it becomes much more interesting than just... Orson Welles did a radio play, people thought it was real and that Martians were attacking and went crazy. Um, mm -hmm. Because there's a lot more nuance to it, as you might expect. Uh, people generally are dumb. Um, <laughs> that sounds mean. That sounds very and mean. And this one goes to our listeners out there. <laughs> no, but what I mean is that people are prone to like collective panic about things. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it like... As a group, people can be influenced very easily. I mean, look at the spread of right-wing populist movements right now. See, I was going to go more basic than that and be like, look at the people who, who like, stockpiled loot, loot paper. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's something that I was starting to get a bit prone to. I was like, oh, oh yeah. my God, we need to go out. We need to buy loot roll because yeah. it's going to be gone. No, I know. that. that like, it's that exact thing where you see that people are panic buying loot roll. Mm. And you kind of go, well, what if I need loo roll? And yeah. everyone's panic bought it. I, I've got to buy some. And then you or kind pasta. of. <laughs> yeah, and then you justify it to yourself. It's like, oh, I'm not panic buying. I'm just having to buy because everyone else is panic mm. buying. It's like, no, you're part of the problem. <laughs> yes. I definitely nearly became part of the problem. I was freaking out about toilet paper, like no one's <laughs> business. I was like, there's only three rolls left. <laughs> We're gonna die. Why are you freaking about it? I do the shopping in this household. I know, it's because I didn't want to say. Oh, bless. Oh, no, it's all right. I mean... I mean, you had secretly bought another stash of toilet roll that you just didn't share with me at that point. Oh, so, yeah. So that was fine. Yeah. It was like, I didn't need to worry because there was more loo roll. But yes. it was sort of like getting close to the end and I was like, oh my God. Barnaby hasn't bought more loo roll and, <laughs> and we're going to have to be wiping our asses on, I don't know, book pages. Well, we've got a lot of uh, magazines because I subscribe to Private Eye and you have your teaching magazines. The teaching magazines pages are glossy. They are glossy, but you know what? They they work wonders as like linings for Lombardi's hutch. That's true. <laughs> so, so never stop getting those because frankly, they're great. <laughs> uh, since the Norwich used to circulate this 
sort of little pamphlet magazine thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pages were wonderful in that four line. Oh, was that the um, Norwich, Norwich Extra, I think it was called or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, I, I think they said they were going to like go down to bi-weekly or semi-weekly, I should say. Um, but it just seems to have stopped. I mean, possibly because pandemic. But mm. I think this is definitely something we should be using our podcast as a yeah. platform to complain about. <laughs> Where is the Norwich Extra? <laughs> Lombardi needs to pee on something. <laughs> okay, uh, Lombardi is our rabbit. Just <laughs> Lombardi is our son. <laughs> well, he is, but he's also a rabbit. Yeah, that's true. Uh, okay, so back to the actual topic of the podcast. Rabbits. No, no, Orson Welles. So this was a radio adaptation uh, which was broadcast by CBS, mm-hmm. uh, which at the time was quite a small service. They were, oh, okay. They, it, was, it was officially called the Columbia Broadcasting Service. Lovely. It was quite small and it wasn't referred to as anything vulgar like CBS. <gasps> no. Orson Welles had a regular program which had only been running for, I think it was about eight weeks, maybe. It, it, it okay. wasn't very long. It was called Mercury Theatre on the yeah. Nice. And it was based on his Mercury Theatre that he mm-hmm. worked with. And they basically just did uh, dramatic adaptations of plays or books or anything like that and just broadcast it. Like that, that was the show. Okay. So previously they'd done stuff like they'd done Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds pretty good. Yeah, I, I quite like the idea. But Orson Welles clearly had a vision for doing something a little bit different. Uh, I'll kind of go into his influences in a little bit. Um, But he wanted to do a production which simulated a crisis happening at the time. Right. So he settled on War of the Worlds. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently it was a bit of a fraught process. Uh, He hadn't actually read it. (laughs) Okay. And I think I read that he, like, even after adapting it, he hadn't actually read it. Uh, I mean, I feel like that's the case with, like, 99% 99% of all War of the yeah. Worlds adaptations. Or adaptations full stop. I mean, look at the watch at the moment. The... Let's not go there. We'll get too angry. <laughs> uh, all I can say is bless you, Rihanna Pratchett. Uh... Blatchett. <laughs> that was a look around you reference. <laughs> that's even more, that's even more um, esoteric uh, or... I've used that word too much today. <laughs> You're in an esoteric mood. I am in an esoteric mood, yeah. Um, too specific. Yeah, it's real specific. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. Anyway, anyway. So, uh, it was a bit of a fraught process. The person who was kind of in charge of the script for it read R- War of the Worlds mm-hmm. and basically thought it was dull and trash. What? I know, right? Like, what? I, I, I really like H.G. Wells. I love War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds is great. It's uh, such fun. And there's a great... Um, weirdly, I'm just going to plug kind of Amazon a bit. Because on Audible, there is a collection of H.G. Wells stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, the War of the Worlds is read by David Tennant. Nice. So everything has that nice Scottish look to it. Oh, I love his Scottish accent. Aye. It's great. And then he's, he, I don't think he ever says I. No, he doesn't. Of course he doesn't. I'm just doing stereotypes. Don't they have a Jason Isaacs one as well? They do. Jason Isaacs does The Island of Dr. Moreau. Nice. Uh, also very good. And God, there's a bit in that. It's really freaky when he starts doing like the animal-human hybrid voices. Oh God, Jason Isaacs is too good at voice acting. And yeah. It's creepy. Yeah. Oh, bless you, Jason Isaacs. Blizzix. Blizzix. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Wow, we've really gotten off topic so much in this episode already. I'm sorry. That's all right. That's all right. So, they updated the original story because War of the Worlds is set in the late 1800s because mm-hmm. um, that was the time that H.G. Wells was writing. And it was set in England, uh, in yeah. Woking. Uh, yeah, they've, is, they've got a statue there. They do. They have two statues. Yeah. Uh, I've seen them. There is a statue of the tripod aliens, like, machine. Mm-hmm. And also uh, of the cylinder that the Martians crashed to Earth in. So just to sort of give an overview for our listeners, you may or may not have read War of the Worlds. I think it's one of those things that a lot of people, like, you kind of know the story. Yeah. So if you're really worried about spoilers... Then skip ahead a few minutes. Yeah. Um, basically, the story of War of the Worlds is that in the late 1800s, a cylinder from Mars crashes into Woking. Yep. I um, think it's in the forest, isn't it? Or yeah. like in the trees. Yeah. Well, it's just in the sort of the outskirts of it. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and everyone starts investigating, and mm. out of this cylinder crawls this machine, which is on these tripod legs. Mm-hmm. And it starts using what is basically a laser, yep. a heat ray. To destroy everything. And more and more of these cylinders fall. Mm-hmm. And more of these alien, these Martians, emerge and basically lay waste to England. We should point out probably at this point for our listeners abroad mm-hmm. that Woking is just kind of like, or at least in the 1800s, it was just like a sort of semi-rural town. Yeah. It's now... It still kind of is. It's now just like <laughs> a town that's sort of very much orbiting London. It's yeah. like... It's not a super important place yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, so it's this one guy who's in the book who's trying to escape from the aliens. And I think he tries to go towards London or something at one point, doesn't he? he? Do, yeah. He, uh, no, his brother is in London. Yeah. And there are several bits from his brother's perspective. Ah, uh, right. That's and, it. And uh, his brother sort of sees the panic. But okay. Going, going away from that, just sort of continuing on basically he tries to survive it looks like the martians are taking over they're kind of terraforming the world but eventually they just sort of keel over and die yep and the reason is that like the armies at the time failed to beat the martians but the martians weren't accustomed to our atmosphere and so it was uh bacteria and viruses Mm -hmm. everything like that that was just completely (laughs) alien to them (laughs) Uh, which just killed them. Yeah. So it's got this sort of like weird sudden end, but it works quite well. It's one of those things that I think has been referenced or used in examples of or parodied yeah. in so many things. Um, but I do recommend the book. I think it's great. And I, I will recommend the audiobook version as well because it's it's really fun. I really like the fact that the book is set in the 1800s because obviously mm. H.G. Wells didn't have any options with that. But oh, no. it does mean that the difference between Martian technology and our technology of the time is sort of like highlighted. It's such a big difference. I mean, this is true, but H.G. Wells had some weird like predictive abilities. Because oh, yeah. the heat ray it was lasers. Yeah. Um, the island of Dr. Moreau sort of uh, preceded the idea of genetics. Yeah. Uh, I f- can't forget, remember, there was something else as well. Nope, can't remember. Mm. Anyway, uh, he definitely was a forward thinker. Oh, yeah. But yeah, there is, there is this sort of marked difference. But it, it's fun to read sci-fi from a different era. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, so, despite that guy saying it was boring, I think it's great. Yes. So they decided to update it to 1938. Okay. 
and set it in America because this is where the broadcast was happening. Sure, that makes sense. So they definitely wanted to do it as seemingly real. Now, it was very clearly advertised as a drama. Okay. Uh, There's actually four points in the show where they say, this is a radio drama. (laughs) Oh, really? They say it at the beginning, uh, Mm -hmm. which also starts with Orson Welles reading a slight variation of the prologue from the beginning of the book. Right. Uh, and then they had two more points during the programme because it was a it was divided into two parts, basically. Uh, the first part was 40 minutes long mm-hmm. and then the second part, 20 minutes. And there was a slight gap in between, uh, which was extended for reasons we'll get into later. Ooh. But at the end of the first part and the beginning of the second part yeah. and then right at the end, they reiterated... This is a radio drama. Okay. So this idea that people suddenly listened in and they were like, oh my God, we have no idea. Yeah. No, it was very clearly broadcast that, you know, <laughs> this is a drama. I mean, maybe people just really missed the cues. They were like, oh, like, let's just turn on the radio. We're going to ignore the bit where they say this is a radio drama because I don't know, I'm doing the washing up or something. Yeah. I didn't hear that. I'm just like freaking out and then like doing chores to try and occupy my mind. Well, there are four, there are a few possible ways that people might have missed those. Okay. These are sort of taken into consideration. Um, we know that Orson Welles, he's kind of, he's a, Hmm. I was going to call him a bit of a dick. (laughs) (laughs) What, the great actor of a a previous generation? He was a bit mischievous, shall we say. Okay. He was one of those people who I get the feeling he wanted to be kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Inscrutable. All right. So he has kind of gone back and forth as to whether or not he knew that this this could cause panic. Right. Um, I think if you say repeatedly, by the way, (laughs) this is a radio broadcast, then you do think someone's going to panic? Well, yeah, I mean, there is that. By Um, the way, to all our listeners out there, (laughs) this is a podcast. We are not currently in your room with you. But look behind you. Scorpions! Ah! Well, he was inspired by a radio hoax that did cause some panic. Oh, uh, it was called Broadcasting the Barricades, which was a dramatic hoax done by Ronald Knox uh, in the UK. Okay. Uh, Ronald Knox, who was a priest, detective story author, and radio broadcaster. Oh my God. Okay. It's an amazing... That's a great trilogy. Yeah. This guy belongs in his own Agatha Christie style <laughs> novel. Well, he wrote a lot of detective stories and he actually had... He had the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue <gasps> of Detective Stories. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do you want me to read them to you? Yes. <laughs> One, the criminal must be mentioned in the early part of the story, but must not be anyone whose thoughts the reader has been allowed to know. Ooh. I mean, Agatha Christie... Broke that one. Broke that in the second, I think, Poirot book. Yeah. Two, all supernatural or preternatural agencies are ruled out as a matter of course. Okay. Three, not more than one secret room or passage is allowable. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that Which would be excessive. <laughs> I do like that. Do you think it was really fed up with, like, too so. many secret rooms? Uh, four, no hitherto undiscovered poisons may be used, nor any appliance which will need a long scientific explanation at the end. Okay. I'm pretty sure that rules out Sherlock Holmes as well. <laughs> yeah, like, in the 
oh what is it the one that gets taught at GCSE the sign of four yes they yeah. do use uh, some kind of like hitherto undiscovered poison or uh, yeah I think it might have been real but it's like mm. from a very distant land and it's a blowed art and yeah. like all that uh, I'm not going to say what this actually says here, so I'm just going to update it. No Chinese man must figure uh, in the story. Okay. And this is because there was a really strong trope and stereotype yeah. at the time uh, where there were Asian characters in um, detective fiction who... Yeah. Stereotyped to hell, shall Oh, we say. yeah. Like, I appreciate that even if he maybe used a non-politically correct word, mm. he's got this idea that, like, yeah. stop it, guys. Yeah. It's too much. Six, no accident must ever help the detective, nor mm-hmm. must he ever have an unaccountable intuition which proves to be right. That's part of Pixar's rule of writing, that one. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm. You can't have an accident that will help you, only one that will hinder ah, you. That makes a lot of sense, actually, thinking about Pixar films. Yeah. Seven, the detective himself must not commit the crime. I feel that should be higher. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't that be up with you can't hear the yeah. criminal's thoughts? Although, wouldn't it be great if the detective had committed the crime? Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. That. Eight, the detective is bound to declare any clues which he may discover. This is presumably so that the reader can kind of work it out as well. Yeah. Nine, the sidekick of the detective, the Watson, must not conceal from the reader any thoughts which pass through his mind. His intelligence must be slightly, but very slightly, below that of the average reader. Which I feel is harsh on Watson. Watson! (laughs) Watson's a doctor and a soldier. (laughs) And he's a lady killer. Yes. Ten, Twin brothers and doubles generally must not appear unless we have been duly prepared for them. <laughs> Which I'm not sure how one is duly prepared for someone's twin brother. I mean, I definitely haven't been duly prepared for twins <laughs> to turn up every once in a while. Yeah. Um, so I teach a surprising number of twins <laughs> and like a shocking number of twins yeah. for one school. And there have been moments where I have thought that a child is accidentally lining up in like to come into my class when they're not supposed to be. And it turns out, no, that's just the brother of the person I taught last lesson. Yeah. It's really weird. <laughs> it's a weird moment, that one. So you're not duly prepared for it. That's- no, I wasn't duly prepared. <laughs> I, was, I almost told that child off. <laughs> I was like, you need to go to your next lesson. Oh, excellent. And it's like, no, I'm in your lesson now. So I'm aware that this episode so far has been way more rambly than usual. I'm so sorry. That's all right. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I I hope our readers can forgive us. Readers? Especially because they're listeners. (laughs) I've been listening to too much regular features. Uh, (laughs) I hope our listeners can forgive us. Okay, so Ronald Knox, Mm -hmm. who wrote those commandments... Mm -hmm. Um, and was a radio broadcaster in January 1926 he reported that rioting had overtaken London the masses of unemployed people had gotten so angry that they just started a surge of like fury rioting as I say yeah and that they had basically overtaken the capital I mean, that's super believable for London during the Great Depression. Yeah, it was a time... In fact, there were four months after this hoax happened, there was a general strike. Oh, my God. So I think And everyone people, was like, no, that's not true. It's well, just being made up on the radio. I think it was more the fact that people knew this was coming. Yeah. And so when it was reported in January, they were like, oh, God, it's here. Yeah. Uh, it was also... 
1917 was when the Russian Revolution happened. So yep. everyone's kind of, you know, thinking about how the proletariat might rise up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he reported this. Uh, it reported things like government ministers had been murdered, including people being roasted alive. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, uh, those Londoners could get up to anything, couldn't they? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty grisly. Like, you think about this sort of era. You don't imagine radio doing like allowing anyone to report that people are being roasted alive, regardless of whether or not it's a hoax. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. Didn't they have rules? Probably. Like, yeah. They would have had so many bizarre rules. Yeah. Uh, he also said that several sort of key locations, including the Houses of Parliament, had been flattened by mortar fire. What's a mortar fire? No, mortar. <laughs> fire. <laughs> okay, yes, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> mortar fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was also from the Savoy as well. I believe he said was destroyed. But anyway, oh, you got you got to destroy the Savoy. Yeah, he really went. Um, oh, what's that guy? Roland Emmerich, uh, the guy who does things like Independence yeah. Day and loves destroying like national monuments. No, he's got a genuine reason for doing the Savoy. Yeah, because the Savoy was destroyed in the Peasants' Revolt in the 1200s. Oh, back when it was John of Gaunt's palace. Well, he was a priest, so he mm. may have been something of a historian as well. Could be. That would be interesting. Yeah, I'd have to look into that. Anyway, um, so this was reported, like, this wasn't even part of a drama. It seems that he just kind of did it. Nice. <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> but it was also, there were there were people who believed it might be true. There were people trying to sort of get in contact. Yeah. There was a problem at the time that there was heavy snow. Oh, God. So people didn't receive newspapers for four days. Oh, and they just heard this radio broadcast being like, by the way. Exactly. So not only did they not have sort of confirmation that it was a hoax, mm -hmm. but they also have something that's like, oh, my God, this is why the papers aren't here. This is true. London's mm. been destroyed by the proletariat. Yeah, because that's not too far from Fleet Street, I don't think. No. Which is where all the newspapers are. Yeah. So Wells like admits that this was an inspiration. Sure. He's like, I'm just going to steal the story and the idea from Britain. <laughs> yes, that's true, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he wanted to create this radio program in which the first part is presented as news bulletins. Yes. Yeah. And the second part is more traditional radio drama set from the perspective of a survivor. Yeah. Um, and so I, I listened to it because I'd never actually listened to the Awesome Wells broadcast before. Mm -hmm. And it is like, if you're not paying attention, it is surprisingly believable in many ways because basically what you've got for the first 40 minutes is bits of music mm -hmm. occasionally interspersed with people cutting in and saying sort of like this just in, such and such has happened in this place, we'll bring you more information when we have it. And then it slowly gets more and more fraught like, it starts off with people just sort of going, oh, like, bright flashes have been seen on Mars. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, an object has hit New Jersey. Okay. And then it's like, people around this and the tripod machines come out and people start dying. Mm -hmm. And then the, a, the Martians start releasing their black smoke to kill everyone. Yep. Uh, it's pretty grim. Um, the first part actually ends with the news reporter dying on air. Oh my god! Choking on this poison gas. That is awesome. Yeah. So, what was happening during this point was people did start getting in contact with the radio station to be like, this is 
fake, right? Yeah. I don't think there was really panic at this. Like, I think panic was sort of building in different places. The police had actually turned up oh. to the to the radio network, basically saying, "Shut this down." Like, yeah. This is this is causing, if not panic, definitely confusion. We don't want you to do this anymore. One of the wow. um, one of the actors said basically that the police came in as slowly as a trickle at first, yeah. and then more and more kept coming, like <laughs> a rushing tide of policemen, basically. <laughs> and they were shouting, the uh, people involved in the network were shouting, the uh-huh. workers at the radio station were shouting, like everything was became confused. Yeah. There. Uh, Orson Welles at this point, apparently, was sitting down talking about how, oh, this is the end of my career. Yeah. Um, he was 23 at the time. So <laughs> oh, bless. A little bit dramatic there, Orson. Although, I do get that. Like, I'm sure, I rem- like, I remember being 23. He Ev- knew. Everything feels like the end of the world when you're 23. He knew this is what was going to happen. He's got, I mean, reading about it, he exaggerates so much. Like, part of the reason that there's this idea that this broadcast caused widespread panic is from Orson Welles himself. <laughs> he talks about going out into the streets during the break and seeing swarms of people rushing past, panicking because Martians had attacked. It's just not true. It's like, no, no, those were the policemen who were trying to shut you down. <laughs> so, yeah, he was one of the two main reasons that this became way more, like, bigger of a thing than it actually was. Um, I mean... That's pretty cool. I like it when people do that kind of thing, though. I mean, yeah, but it's like when you get the story of him also sitting in the chair and going like, oh, this is the end of my career. What have I done? It's like, no, you knew what you were doing, (laughs) especially because like he based it on something that did cause panic as well. So harsh, Barnaby. I'm not being harsh. I think you are. Like, literally, I'm... I think he was expecting panic, but maybe he wasn't expecting the police to turn up. Okay, okay, like that's that fair. would make me panic. That's fair. I guess. I guess it's the swarms of police. Yes, swarms <laughs> of police will do that to you. Yeah. So I've said all along that you know these cases of like mass panic and rioting and everything like that were exaggerated, but it is true that there were cases of panic and there were possibly some sort of like fallout from this okay so what we've got to kind of go back and look at is how did this come about because like i said four times it's mentioned this is a radio drama it begins yeah. with orson wells reading the prologue from uh war of the worlds yeah and the second part of the program was a radio drama like yeah they dropped all pretense at that So one of the first things that we really need to know about this is how dedicated the team making this were to making it real. Okay. They used real places. They used real people's names as well. Okay. And they had rehearsed it so that they could make the sound effects as realistic as possible. And I will say, when you listen to it, it sounds good. Like, it, it does... You can totally believe that they are where they say they are and all this stuff is happening around them uh i think especially for the time like yeah i know radio had been around a bit at that point but it was still i think it was still fairly new i guess so what year is this again 19 oh no this is 1938 i was thinking back to 26 oh yeah okay so it's definitely been around but yeah i, I, mm. I it's, it's still, still at that crackly point really, exactly isn't it? yeah and it does sound like that but mm. you know I, I think it's very good now part of the problem was that the Columbia Broadcasting Service at the mm-hmm. time 
was not particularly popular. Okay, why? Even, it was just small. Oh, right, right. And it was competing with much larger networks that had already established themselves. Mm-hmm. And especially Orson Welles' show, The Mercury Theatre on Air, uh, it, it didn't have a huge following. Like okay. maybe a few hundred dedicated people who like really listened to it and then yeah. extras here and there. And also the show, when Orson Welles sort of got this time slot, it was agreed that they wouldn't have any adverts or commercial breaks in it. Oh, right. Okay. Now the competing much larger networks did have commercial breaks. So what it is sometimes supposed happened was people were listening to the more popular shows, got to the adverts and did the thing that I think we can all relate to where it's like advert comes on, switch over to something else until the advert goes away. Yes. So they go over and start hearing about invaders. Yeah. They they do frequently say like Martians. Yeah. But they also do refer to them as invaders. And this is... The eve of World War II. Yes. Everyone okay. is waiting for this to happen. Yeah, and they, like, presumably at this point, people are starting to create all that new technology that gets really big in World War II, so you could start landing missiles... Exactly. ...in US soil, which you couldn't do before. Yeah, absolutely. So there was likely an assumption on these people's parts they weren't talking about martians but nazis right landing in american soil and just attacking everything and everyone's completely overwhelmed yeah okay like that would be terrifying yeah and in fact a study was done afterwards uh where they interviewed people who basically had said that they had panicked at it yeah and as many as a third of people didn't actually understand that they were talking about Martians. Right, yeah. Like, despite the fact that the word Martian is repeatedly used and everything like that, and they said, talk about it coming from Mars, it's one of those things where because you're not paying full attention, you don't hear the full context. Yeah. And then you kind of build the story in your head, and if it doesn't immediately sort of get debunked, mm-hmm. then you're probably in a bit of shock. Yeah, like, <laughs> definitely... Like uh, the US hasn't really hadn't really been invaded by anyone except maybe the Spanish or the Canadians at this point. True, yeah. And like that was the War of eighteen twelve. Yeah, so, so that, that was, <laughs> it was a while ago. Years ago so and, yeah. yeah, like I could only imagine it'd be complete panic. Yeah. So that was part of it. There were reports that there were some places that had larger scale uh, events of outbreaks of sort of mass hysteria, as it were. Mm. Um, Apparently during the break, a uh, mayor of a Midwestern town phoned the studio, very angry, saying that there was rioting in the streets. Oh my gosh. I don't know if this, like this, I I couldn't really find evidence of this being an actual thing. Oh, so it might have been Orson Welles made this up. No, because it was a studio executive who took the call and reported it later. So it could be that it's absolutely true. Mm. I think what's more likely is, well, there was a bit of panic. Mm -hmm. This mayor phones up very angry and is exaggerating it to kind of yeah, to... make it seem more important than it actually was. So the police arriving actually kind of added fuel to the fire for this because their presence meant that the break between the two parts was 10 minutes longer than originally planned. Oh, God. And, and... during that 10 minutes, you're like, <laughs> we really we really need to know about yeah. the Nazis that are invading <laughs> America. Yeah. And especially if 
like if someone has been told basically, oh my god, tune into the tune into CBS because yeah. there are invaders here or anything like that. If they go on to that point and have missed the first half and missed the bit where they say, you know, this is just this is a broadcast. Drama, yeah, <laughs> they're just met with kind of dead air. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine how terrifying? Especially because the presenter's meant to have died, right? Yeah. So then they're just like, mm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So what we kind of get from this is that, yes, there was panic. It wasn't widespread. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's likely that it was more people who were concerned kind of possibly about others because the phones basically in the, into the studio were completely full yeah. of people phoning up to sort of confirm that this was a radio drama. Yeah. So I think that people weren't, you know, convinced, but there was a little bit, a little part of them that kind of was like... Mm, Better to check. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what happened afterwards was that the next day, Orson Welles, despite having very little sleep, mm-hmm. had to go before reporters to kind of explain himself. Right. And this is where I think we get the myth, because it was a combination of Orson Welles' grandeur, as it were, Mm -hmm. and media excitement that led to this idea of mass panic, riots in the street, because basically they just want to dress it up. Oh, yeah. And there were some ridiculous reportings like uh, there were there were people who were demanding questions of Orson Welles as to how many suicides he knew about oh my god yeah Um, and the answer is like none yeah (laughs) people gave us a call we (laughs) told them that it wasn't true I don't think there were any suicides I'm not going to be certain Mm -hmm. on this because the problem is as I say the reporting on it is wildly inaccurate I read one source that said that a paper printed, possibly accidentally, that 12,500 people had died. Oh my God. As a result of this broadcast. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Just to like check ourselves on this one. Yeah. So, um, you. Okay. So, you know someone's cause of suicide yeah. if they write a note and tell you what it is. Who's going to be there being like, I heard the radio program that told me there were invaders <laughs> oh, from no. Mars? No, no, no. I think the 12,500 is like in riots and stampedes and like panicked crushing of people. But was that happening at all? Mm, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Like I say, we have this call from this mayor of a Midwestern town. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there, do- there doesn't really seem to be any actual examples of people like taking to the streets or anything like that, rioting. Or, yeah, the panic was very much contained as much as it existed. Yeah. Um, people had switched over from more popular programming, heard about invaders, and were kind of like, well, World War II starting. Yeah. <laughs> Or whatever they would have called it. It was in America, so who knows? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So basically what we have here is kind of... Part of the reason that I wanted to do this as an episode is to address the fact that we're kind of seeing the same thing now. So much. Because there's so much airtime given in various media outlets to people who are very much wanting to panic everyone or Mm. get people to act in a certain way 
yes, you see this sort of thing today. There are definitely people who use media outlets as a way to kind of, you know, foster an idea, perhaps, or create sort of senses of worry and panic in people. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how we got Brexit. Uh, (laughs) It's not uncommon. This has happened before. And when people kind of look back, even at recent history, and sort of say, oh, this, like, elder generation or people back in history were dumb... Mm-hmm. People really don't change. Like Everyone's kind of prone to this sort of manipulation. Well, I think what you've told us has made it quite clear that the media is prone to making people look particularly stupid as mm. well. So I was thinking while you were talking about, like, there might have been some yeah. panic, but it got blown all out of proportion. Mm. Did you see those photographs, like, earlier in the year, back when it was warm, <laughs> of... Uh, of like the crowded beaches. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there were so many photos where it was like, oh my god, all these people flooding to these beaches, mm. and they're all such idiots, yeah. and like we should be really disgusted by these people. And then for quite a few of them, other people had taken photos of the same beach, but just from a different angle. Yeah. Which showed that actually everyone was distancing from other families, yeah. and the way it was looking crowded was just from the shot that had been mm. taken by the press. Yeah. And like. Don't don't get me wrong. I do think people have probably done silly things during this pandemic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it definitely... The media wants us to think that everyone's being stupid mm. pretty much all the time. I mean, it wants to sell us the story of it. Yeah. And it's also why things like The Last Night at the Proms become big news. Because... They say they're not going to have a sing-along yeah. at an event that doesn't have an audience. Yeah. But it gets, it gets the story gets told as, oh, the, the lefty liberals are trying to stop us singing Rule Britannia or whatever it was. It was Rule Britannia. Was Rule Britannia. Hence all of the, like, what if it's um, offensive to people of colour because their ancestors were I slaves? Know. I don't know. But the point is that that wasn't the actual story, but it got reported as such. Mm. And so it became the story to which we got the point where Boris Johnson bloody came out and was like, oh, I can't believe that this is a thing. I will look into it immediately. And it's like, it's your own rules. Yes. (laughs) They're not having singing because there's no audience. And also, we're not supposed to do choral singing at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of the takeaway from this. I think this is a good story. Mm. And I think that we can't just discount the whole thing as a myth. But I think the intricacies of it are more interesting than just man does radio broadcast, people think it's real. Yeah. And there's definitely... People definitely kind of laughed about it afterwards or saw how kind of ridiculous this was. Yeah. Um, In fact, there's a cartoon I saw... Which had, which had like from the era, which had two people listening to us. Uh, they they saw like Nazi stormtroopers in the distance, and like, yeah. how could people go along with such ideologies? How could they fall for this like ridiculous way of thinking? Yeah. And then the next panel is them running from the radio, as the radio is saying, "Martians attacking." And <laughs> like that. So it's like, I think people were aware. Yeah. But you know doesn't make it any less fun of a story. It's still a good story, (laughs) especially one to tell young people when they're too young to realise how to Google and find out the answer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you very much, everyone, for joining us on this episode of That Time When. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for our theme tune, Anachronist, and any other music that we put in here. 
if you want, you can follow us on Twitter at that time when four, or just search that time when, and you'll see our nice fancy shield. Mm. Uh, you can also email us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to send in any requests for stories you might like us to cover, uh, always happy to hear about that. Please like and subscribe and whatever you can do on your current choice of <laughs> media. Yeah. Um, yeah, five stars, please, if you're on iTunes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes. And once again, thank you for joining and we'll see you next week. Bye.